Hello and a warm welcome to This Woman's Work, a space where you can hear and read about some amazing women, the fantastic jobs they do and the paths that have led them to where they are today. I'm here today with Katie. Hi Katie. Hi. Could you tell <laughs> the lovely listener what it is you do for a living? Yes, I am a senior civil servant at the Department of Business and Trade. And my job title currently, I'm a deputy director, so um, the first, the entry level of into the senior civil service is uh, deputy director, um, SCS1, senior civil servant one, and I am um, in, I'm in a director called advanced manufacturing. I mean, there's a lot to unpack there, isn't there? <laughs> but before I do it, because this is what I always do, we're going to go all the way back and we have to look at, we have to talk about little Katie. Okay. At school and college, what were you like? What were you into? I loved school. Did you? Yeah, love, 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 love it. And I remember being sat in a classroom when I was about mm, 15, maybe 16. GCSEs were like imminent, thinking, this is the best time of my life. I'm never going to be able to not have to worry about, like, having a job. Like, I could just right. luxuriating in the fact that I didn't have to go out to work. I had no responsibility. Yeah, and yeah. could just sit there and learn. How geeky is that? I was academically bright. Um, I was really good at languages and still really love languages and still I'm constantly trying to find ways to actually get back to being as fluent and good at languages as I was um, post A-level. Yes. Um, and I, but I wanted to do arty things. Oh. So I was, I was academic, but I also really wanted to do creative things. So I ended up then going and doing a uh, art foundation course in Epsom in Surrey. So this is after college yeah. now. Yeah. So, so hang on, so what A-levels did you do? History, Spanish, textiles, uh, general studies because everyone has to do it. Yeah. And then I also did an Italian GCSE additionally. So at that wow. point I'd done French, Spanish and Italian. You can basically make Italian up off the other two. But you, so you knew languages were a big thing for you though? Yeah, but I didn't want to do it for a degree. I, 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 what I wanted to do was do a degree that I knew I was going to finish. And I was worried right. that something academic, I wouldn't sustain the passion for the intense sort of yeah. academic study over the course of a degree. So I wanted to do something that I would definitely complete. And for me, that was something creative. So I wanted to do fashion design and illustration. That was what I went to art college to do. And then by the time I came out of art college, it was jewellery design. So I ended up doing a degree in jewellery design and silversmithing. Wow. Which obviously we'll come on to in a moment. Yes. <laughs> um, okay. So left uni, then what happened? Uh, left uni and got a job in a family jewellers in Macclesfield in Cheshire. Well, so hang on, where did you go to uni though? Uni, though? Did you well, go so to I, was meant, uh, I got a place at um, Goldsmiths in London, was meant to go to, um, was meant to live in Hackney, and it was loads of stuff in the news at that time about people getting shot in Hackney, and I was oh, like, yeah, oh, Hackney. I'm not sure I want to go yeah. there. So I ended up going through clearing and going to central Lancashire in Preston, which is basically like, so I'm from Warrington, Preston is basically like Warrington. Um, an hour of the motorway. Yeah. <laughs> Half an hour of the motorway. Yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> but it was fine. The course, the course was the course did what it needed to do. And you didn't die. I didn't. I didn't die. I might die. I, I mean, I potentially saved my own life there. Finished uni, went to work in this jewellers in Macclesfield, which was, and Macclesfield has many positive qualities, um, but it was just very. Oh my God! Is this going to be my life? Like working in a jewellers in Macclesfield. 
and I ended up going, <laughs> this is another random, random trajectory. So I ended up going um, to Newquay um, on August Bank Holiday in 2004 with a couple of friends. Um, the, uh, there were some really hot guys in the tent next to us. <gasps> and so we ended up um, uh, becoming friendly with them. I yes. Think the right term. Yes. Um, yes. And I kept in contact for, like, for two weeks after that with um, one of them and he was like and I was kind of saying that I wasn't really sure that I wanted to be in this job in Macclesfield and I wasn't sure what I was going to do in my life and he was like oh move down to London and stay with me so I've known him for two weeks and moved down to London and that's why I moved to London right into his shared house in Chiswick wow start of many moves across most of London in the past yeah, 20 yeah. or so years I've lived here <laughs> wow so now in London and doing what what, what did you do for work I had a bar job yeah. in the city I got a job in the city in a bar because they close on weekends because there's nobody to go to the bar in the city on a weekend. So I had to fit in like 60 hours in five days of the week, which was, I worked a really, it was a really nice bar. It was like part of a small chain and that was quite good fun. But we had a financial services headhunting firm in the floors above us and the MD of that company partly fancied me. He was a bit pervy. Um, but also said that he thought because I was good at chatting to people that I'd be good at recruitment so offered me a job so I did the bar job for probably about three months and then ended up in financial services head something <laughs> amazing yeah I didn't know what it was yeah did that badly do you know for what it two is years. now <laughs> yeah I do I do and it definitely wasn't what I was doing in the end um, uh, so I did I did asset finance okay uh, which I definitely understood at the time and then I did co- uh, compliance and then corporate security um, wow. Didn't enjoy it. Managed to wangle my um, one of my managers um, on the corporate security bit. Managed to get wangled and get me made redundant. Right. So I got a little bit of a payout. That enabled me to do some volunteering work. And I decided I wanted to get in the charity sector because I thought I had transferable skills. And so I did a little bit of volunteering work for a homeless charity called... Well, sorry. Um, part-time work and volunteering work so I ended up doing some work for a charity called St Mungo's which is a homeless charity and ended up then getting a job at Dogs Trust animal charity yeah as a communications assistant or something like that yeah and that was my first job in the charity sector Dogs Trust was lovely yeah I, I, I heart dogs for one yeah so I went in as a comms assistant I had to do things like media monitoring I didn't know anything about press or PR or anything like that um, so you've got a job in recruitment, having it. no idea how to do recruitment or yeah. anything. You're now in the charity sector with no idea how yeah. to... Yeah, just learning it and making up as I go along. I love so it's that. On, it's sort of an ongoing theme. When we get to my civil servant career, I was going to say, hear more about. Yeah. Um, so working at Dogs Trust, I did five years there. Um, yeah, so it was, re- it was really interesting and I loved it, but then I had to leave. And I went to get, and I got a job at a charity called Target Ovarian Cancer and TLDR Ovarian Cancer Bad. Um, for anybody who uh, has experienced it or knows about it. One of the worst cancers, because it's really hard to diagnose, and it's often diagnosed really, really late, because the symptoms aren't very well known. Um, And I was, so I was a comms manager there, so I kind of ran ran the website, ran photo shoots, did lots of the press releases and things like that, and publications, so like magazines and, and things like that, so... That was that was lovely, and then that happened at the same time as I moved to Stanford. Yes, so I ended I up having to quit that job and did like the last month in that role when I moved to Stanford in Lincolnshire, which is how from hen. Yes, my name yeah. So I did freelancing. Ended up taking on, ended up getting a permanent role at one of the clients I freelanced for in Leicester. 
called Homestart UK. Also a marvellous charity. Yeah. Yep. So Homestart UK is the umbrella organisation for around 300 Homestarts all over the country. Um, and there was, I think there might be one in Rutland. There's, lot, there's lots there's There's one in Wandsworth where I live now. And is. they basically do early year support. So they provide volunteers that go into people's homes who will do whatever it is really that the person needs. Yeah. So it might be help them go shopping. It might be help them with their kids. It might just be sit there and have a nice chat because they're feeling really shit. Yeah. Um, and they, they're, they're really, 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 really wonderful. So I worked there. But the, as, as an umbrella charity, Homestart UK was not very well funded and kind of um struggling they'd had to lay off quite a lot of people so there was a it was a lovely organization but there was a um like a, an aura in there of just like like chips on shoulders and kind of resentment and concern yes, that they might yeah. not be they might not have job security and things oh. so it wasn't a hugely uplifting place to work sometimes but like the i mean the comms manager there was just absolutely she was so positive and it was just ridiculous and like we did work with kirsty Allsop who there was this snowflake appeal and stuff. And so there was, there, was, yeah. there was nice elements of it. But I also didn't really want to be working in Leicester. No. So I applied for a job in the civil service. And I thought I would never get a job in the civil service because, one, my degree was in jewelry design and silversmithing, yeah. which is not a corporate degree in any, in any way. And I'm also not very corporate. Like, I swear and I'm like... And I tell it how it is and I don't necessarily toe the line. But for some reason, the uh, woman who interviewed me, Alex, who I'm still friends with, Aww. gave me a job. And I think it's partly because she saw a lot of her in me. Right. Because she's also quite gregarious at work and stuff. And okay. not a huge conformist and things. And she knew that was basically what they needed. So hang on though, so what was the job ad though that you applied for? Senior Executive Officer, so SEO, so yeah. talking about civil service grades again. But, and you don't really know what that means when you're not a civil servant, so yeah. you have no concept. So I just went on the pay, like equivalent pay, and it was like it was the one that would be a step up in pay from my job in the charity sector, really. Right, or the, okay. Well, probably the job previous to the one that I'd had at Homestart. Um, and a communications officer, I think, was probably the title. Yeah. The theme of my manager sort of favouring me continued. And the job I was meant to be doing, well, the, all the other people with the same job title as me were doing, was a little bit boring. Right. And so she went, oh, well, no, Katie, you can do some special projects. Sort of this. So had you been there long at this No, point? no. She was just putting me on, like, I think she saw I was really capable. Oh, and no. I'd probably gone in at a grade too low, not knowing anything other than pay scales. Absolutely, yeah. In hindsight. But I know a lot of people new to the civil service also do the same thing. And I've had people work for me who have been like, oh, my God, you shouldn't be that great. You're easily operating okay. this great. And then I have helped them to get promoted because they, 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 they are very capable. Um, so... What was I doing? I got to work on Milan Expo. So every um, five years? Is it five years? Yeah, I think five years. And then there's like intermediate expos. There are, well, they started off with the Great Exhibition in Crystal Palace in like 18-something. And they still there still are great exhibitions. And they're hosted in a certain city every year. So Osaka is the next one, I think. And countries go to the, the, the site that the host country picks and they build pavilions that are like showcases of their national sort of like capability. I've seen that on Victoria. The, no. the, the drama show that had Jenna Coleman yeah, as yeah, Victoria. Yeah. Because did, I want to say Prince Albert. Yeah, yeah, so the original, the, the, yeah, yeah, that one. That was the original and one. And he built, was it Ali Palace? Not Ali Palace. The Crystal, Crystal Palace. Crystal big, Palace. The big, what was for, Crystal Palace. For the UK yeah. version of it, didn't they? Well, it, was the original, it was the first one there and it's continued yes. ever since. 
um, which I didn't know about, and they're not very well known. The, the modern expos aren't very well known yeah. in the UK. They're much better known in some other countries. But it's basically like, I mean, I described Milan Expo as a, I'm going to try and show you that mine's bigger than yours sort I of concept. That's exactly the vibe I was going It's to like, say. no, my pavilion's got more twiddly bits on it. Well, I think you find mine is the most innovative. Well, I think you find mine has more Most eco-friendly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. What came after that? Oh, so... I then got put on as the comms lead to help with the launch of a um, communications, Marcom's cam, marketing communications campaign. I know you won't know what Marcom's is, but let's not, let's say it, let's <laughs> say it properly. Marketing communications campaign called um, Exporting is Great. So the government has a cam- big campaign called The Great Campaign, which, I mean, like they've done various evaluations over the years, I suppose it's supposedly delivered like billions of pounds in okay. investment or ROI for whatever the government's put into it over time but we're launching a domestic version to encourage UK businesses to export and okay. so these two dudes from number 10 have been parachuted into our department uh, Gerald and Ed and they needed people in the department to kind of help make this happen so we like designed and built a website in eight weeks we put all this um, all the Marcoms together we like shot loads of adverts with famous people in different parts all over the world it was like it was bonkers the dudes from number 10 left, or actually one of them ended up managing to, through sheer hustle, getting made director of digital, which was an incredible piece of work because he'd learned how to do digital on YouTube. But he was, he, he, I mean, he, he, did, he did put a shift in there. Like, he, did, he wasn't slacking. Okay, fair enough. He's a very nice guy. But I then, I also was going through a interesting period in my personal life. So when we launched the campaign in... November 2015, I'd broken up with my partner more or less on the day that we launched it. What? And then went through a whole like oh spiral of personal stuff at the same time. And then, I, and then that was still happening when I said yes to the job oh, kind of right. in the following spring. Yes. And then basically it all got too much for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That and the personal stuff all got too much for me. And I ended up getting, I ended up handing my notice in. So also in that period of time, sorry, because that was also 2016. So 2016 was also when the EU referendum happened. So oh being, God, the depart- being in the UK trade and investment at the same time, and then the communications team of UK trade and investment. So the evening of the referendum, we'd gone out for some drinks as the comms team. And we were like, oh, yeah, hopefully it'll be a, hopefully it'll be a, I, whatever the result yes, would be. Yeah. Obviously, because I support the government of the day. Yeah, um, yeah. And um, the morning, though, when we woke up and learned what had happened, and then what we had to do as a result of it, to and then suddenly the, work out, we were like, what Twitter leaving. shall we choose for the new department? I don't know, trade.gov, trade. yeah, I mean, so really weird stuff like that, just, ran, just like trying to work out what we needed to do, because nobody, we hadn't created, a, like, there hadn't been a department created for a while, we suddenly got, we had no ministers, and then we had five ministers. No and nobody, minister. no, yeah, no, nobody knew what to do. Anyway, so that was in, in there as well with all that, right. with, 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 with that having happened. So the reason I say that is then because, so I was trying to find a job at the department, the new department, another new department that had been created from the merger of two departments, um, Department of Business, Energy, Industrial Strate- and Industrial Strategy, which had been created from the, from the Department for Business, Innovation and Skills, and the Department for <laughs> env- environment, so environment and Climate Change. So oh. climate and business and innovation got smushed together and then trade got elevated from a really small like trade promotion, so like helping people to physically export or invest, to one that actually then has to do trade policy as well. Oh. So things like free trade agreements, all of that kind of 
complex, much more. Brexit. Yeah, well, really. yeah, exactly. And all the stuff that the EU previously done for us in yes. that space, having to then work out how we were going to do it as well. But in the meantime, I've got a job at this other department. Um, so either when I came back to work, I actually did a couple of weeks back in, back in uh, DIT, Department for International Trade, where I did things like manage the comms for the Qatar UK Investment Forum that Theresa May like was at and so managed right. her attendance at that. And then I decided that I didn't really want to get pigeonholed as a communications person because you really... In, there's often a lot of snobbery around communications as a profession. It's just like, I don't know, sending press releases and drinking Prosecco. Um, and, also, and also, pe- I think people think that anyone can do comms because it, it's just, it's just I don't know, it's writing copy for a website or writing press release. Yeah. Anyone can do that. Yeah. Um, and I wanted to get some policy experience but it's there's a lot of a, a lot of how you what you do in government is how you influence policy that other departments own that might affect what your department does. So it is and make still, sure that it's all aligned and collaborative and yeah. doesn't jar against one another basically. So a lot of going back to a question about everyone doing PR, a lot of PR really is relationships, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. Engagement. It's about kind of engagement relationships, managing people, managing yeah. situations to get the outcome that you want. Yeah. And you're still kind of doing that. Oh uh, yeah, I would. I would basically say all my jobs have been engagement. Yeah. Um, and even with other even countries there. as well. Yeah, that, so absolutely. 100%. So you're dealing with the, your equivalent policy people yeah. in other countries as well. Yeah. Or yeah. Or doing presentations to senior people, or and internally, um, upward managing senior people internally to kind of help um, make sure they've got the information that they need, or help them to make decisions. And um, so that was really interesting. And I also. Um, ended up setting up a geospatial policy function. Um, so geospatial data is data about the surface of the earth, uh, below the earth, surface of the, of the sea, seabed, all that kind of things. And I was policy sponsor for Ordnance Survey, so lots of maps and land registry, which is where you get stuff from, like they were in the register of all the land in the UK. So when you say, so what level of policy? So you're there, I was getting the right, talking just pure layman's terms here, it's about having the right, for want of a better phrase, the right people in a room. Obviously, I know they're not in a room. Yeah. And oh, we were still in rooms at that point. Oh, were you? <laughs> and then, obviously, kind of agreeing what the right routes were. And obviously, your role predominantly was to kind of document that. And obviously... So my, my role was to identify what strategic priorities would be for our department at that time linked to geospatial data. There was a cabinet office geospatial... Geospatial data policy was led out of the Cabinet Office. Right. There had been a commission set up, which was a unit within the Cabinet Office. But there were lots of equities. So my department had a lot of interests and owned a lot of areas of policy that would be affected by things that the commission kind of decided. So you were responsible for the policy. Yeah, so things, writing it, updating things it. Things like that the department then led on like industrial policy for sectors like and I'll use this because then it'll be a theme going through kind of other bits if if they don't get cut and um, automotive so if we have you think about the link between geospatial data and automotive as a sector you have controls autonomous vehicles yeah so driverless cars ultimately and yeah. another, another that are using, GPS, that are using that yeah. geospatial data that comes yeah. down from the satellites yeah. to navigate and also ge- geospatial data that's captured from street view and things like that yeah. into a database to help them navigate the streets then this is a classic sort of thing that what can happen to one in the civil service is 
roles can appear and disappear and change really easily depending on ministerial changes, depending on kind of senior civil servant changes like permanent secretaries and things like that. And my that role basically, well, the geospatial part of it basically disappeared for... What, just one day? Yeah, basically. It stopped, it stopped being a thing. So you went into work one day and they're like, yeah. Yeah, and so I then basically had to hustle for a new job. So I've still been paid. Right. I'm not. I'm not unemployed, but I need to find a new role right. um, within the civil service and actually within that department. So I had to then. Or what? What would have happened if you hadn't found? Well, just somebody. Well, you'd sit around for a bit doing nothing, and then somebody would find a job for you, and you okay. might not like the job. Yeah, yeah. So. a resource like yeah. you're a, like a, on a you're like a resource that needs to be used sensibly because you're being paid for so yeah yeah, yeah. like put you to work um so i ended up then getting i did some bits and bobs and stuff that were just irrelevant i ended up getting a job my first um senior civil servant job as deputy director of the automotive sector so i was amusingly right. so hang on, what, in charge what? of the industrial side so the manufacturer of cars and manufacturing supply chain materials and things for automotive in the UK. So where are we in your timeline now? So is this still 20, is this 2017? This is 2020. 2020, okay. August so 2020. Yeah. Did COVID happen and start 2021? No, 2020. So you're 2019 then, are you? I don't know. So no, that's right. So no, it's August 2020. And then I got involved in a lot of really exciting opportunities to secure investment into UK automotive and okay. um, as a result of really having that the agreement with the EU which they, it wouldn't have happened if we didn't have that yeah and so then I had two years where we sort of there was a investment by Stellantis in the El- in plant in Ellesmere Port which is actually quite near where I'm from which was like okay. the plant would have probably closed in a few years had we not have secured that and they now manufacture electric vehicles there which is first fully electric yeah. vehicle plant in Europe which was really really cool that was me um, and many other people supporting me obviously yeah. um, and then also further investment by Nissan and a company called Envision who uh, manufacture batteries for electric vehicles in Sunderland and bits and bobs like that and other, other investments so that was really really your cool your goal was to save they're sort of British yeah car yeah and, and there's 169,000 people employed directly in automotive in the UK yeah. and way more in the like supply chain and and in other like that are reliant on money that comes from e.g. factories being located in their region and things yeah. and they're all really high paying jobs and there are very few of them are in London so lots of them are in the West Midlands in the North West and the North East yes, yeah um so that was like really so the theme for me the thing with the civil service is that I've always felt like coming from the charity sector I want I have done jobs that feel like I'm still helping yeah. people because um, I want the thing with the charity they wouldn't the, even know you're doing no help, but the thing so. with charities is that even if you have a really really shit day you can go home and go well I probably saved some dogs from dying today or I probably made some women know, like f- hopefully prevented them from getting cancer or whatever yes. like which is actually quite useful a useful tool to make you go yeah probably is on the whole yeah been a bit of a shitty day but yeah, actually so but actually yeah. we'll probably have one at the end of it yeah and so with the civil servant like the the exporting jobs at the start and then the SME small business policy job was like I, my dad used to own a small business, so I really have a lot of empathy with small business owners, and so that was helping them. Yeah. Ha- 
improving how they operate as small business owners and helping give them more opportunities to grow their businesses and things and trying to simplify the landscape. And then with the automotive sector, I could just think about all those people with those jobs in those places. And it was, and, and it felt really, really, really rewarding. Yeah. Um, we were very lucky because Johnson as prime minister was really passionate about net zero and um, the decarbonisation of road transport, including automotive, which is which meant that we had lots of opportunity and were able to really do our work with the highest level of support, which was really, uh, really positive. Yeah. Um, and then I chose to leave that job and go and work. So I'm really into sustainability and have been for a really, really long time. Like my mum, I use this example and it's not a good example because there weren't bamboo toothbrushes at this time, but I can't think of a better one. <laughs> but we used to go to like a co-op in Greater Manchester that still exists. It's called the Unicorn in uh, Chawton. Uh, big up um, and go and buy like the equivalent of bamboo toothbrushes because I've always been like I'm wow. t- back and forth between being vegetarian and vegan for a long time you yeah, always yeah, dressed yeah. like that from, from the and I've upcycled jewellery since the mid 90s yeah. clo- so yeah. yeah and my mum's basically a massive hippie and she was always really really supportive of one my vegetarianism and then veganism and then also trying to like minimise her your impact as a family exactly. on the earth yeah. exactly and my dad's just a happy passenger Aww. um so uh, yeah so she's she's always been really supportive of that and so the ev job also the auto job also like i would characterize it as a job it was a basically a net zero a cl- like a supportive role from a climate change perspective on de- transitioning the auto sector to non-fossil fuel like vehicles and that does that that was it for me and so then I got the opportunity to go and work on the COP climate and um, UK's uh, COP presidency. So we so hosted. Like, what, where are we now? This is now summer last year, twenty two. Yeah. Last June, yeah. I went to work. Go back to a comms job. So I went to be a communications lead, so deputy director for communications on the UK's COP presidency. So people wow. might have because COP's been in the news quite recently because there's been the most recent COP twenty seven. COP28, sorry, has been in the UAE recently. Um, I then worked on the end of the COP26 presidency, which was the UK's, which we hosted the actual summit itself in Glasgow in 29, 2021. So I wasn't around for that. Yeah. But you have the presidency for a year. And that was really cool. So I did seven months on that. And it was really a continuation of that sustainability, climate change sort of it it's the first time I really sort of thought about curating my career and actually like trying to go in a certain direction um it's always been opportunistic really until then and really lucky and positive opportunistic like I've been had some really very exciting interesting lucky privileged described is kind of it's the saying goes one door closing another open or a window open whatever yeah yeah jump through so I am now oh you've got a really interesting time chops um I stopped that role in the end of September. So I've been doing a... I When I came back to the department at the start of the year, I from the COP role, I really wanted to get carry on doing sustainability climate related. Yeah. Um, but I hadn't been in a role in that specific niche for very long and was kind of... And also in the department that I was in before climate got taken out of like and that zero got taken out of the department in the what I call the machinery of government changes before but the smushing and changing of the departments um it was quite it was, it was really hard to break into that part of the department because it's actually quite popular and in demand I can things. imagine yeah. so um so I had struggled to do that but I thought you know what would be really interesting is doing an external so common oh 
okay. Because and my premise for this is, and the internal business case, is that I think there's, I think business and government can communicate better about sustainability and climate change and about the accelerated decisions that businesses are going to need to take yeah. as we, as the climate emergency becomes even more obvious yeah. and as we um, have to, if we're going to achieve net zero by 2050 we, and we are not taking, we've, we've, we've been on a very limited increasing trajectory yeah. to what we need to do till, until now, the decision, the, the, we're going to have to make really accelerated and much harder decisions they're going to have much far-ranging impact. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I don't think we are necessarily having the right conversation. So in some sectors, we're doing really good stuff. Like auto is actually quite a good example. Um, although that's going to become more challenging over time because all the early adopters of EVs have kind of already bought them. Um, and there's also just issues like to do. they've hit a bit of a consumer war now where yeah. everyone's kind of everyone that wants to do it. Everyone else is still a bit. And there's like, also slight, still a slight cost barrier. There's yeah. still um, range anxiety happens. Um, there's still the a debate over how many charge points you need and where you need them and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But I think that's a, I think that's basically a little hump, and that that will still carry on going because all the car companies are going in this, that direction. Nobody's manufacturing like new diesel cars, no. so it'll become there won't be an alternative apart from secondhand cars. There will be like there'll still be a secondhand car market for all of the the the, the non the non EVs. Yeah. Or or, or non. Alternative Which still to has vehicles. a nice, obviously, still has a sustainable. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 100%. 100%. Um, and there's lots of stuff to do with how the sustainability of battery production needs to improve and all like to do with critical minerals and blah 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 but you can also yeah. read the UK's battery strategy if you'd like which has got some of that information in it mm-hmm. which I also led the production of um, until Did I had to over the year you can cut that bit out because it's really classy um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but blah 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 um, yeah so um, external comment so I, th- I, I, I really want to go into a business and I did a I did an online training course with Harvard Business School earlier in the year on sustainable business strategy because the way these comments in government work is you basically have to find them yourself. Um, Ooh, there's okay. a process, HR help you with, the, with, the, with those common agreements, but you have to find, you have to basically just you type yourself out. You have to go and then pitch yeah. it back in. Yeah. Exactly. So he introduced me to um, one of their stakeholders who is a, I'm not going to name them because I'm not entirely sure whether I should do or not, um, a commercial bank who um, have got a really big sustainability team who also have quite do a lot of kind of social purpose stuff as well, okay. which is interesting because it came through in the Harvard course a lot to do with social purpose and both like and can work with communities as well as workforce and I hadn't really engaged on that front as much previously because my angle into this is much more of the environmental eco-sustainability stuff so that tallied up actually quite nicely when this kind of company said oh no we also do quite a lot in that space as well so it's taken six months to get that agreed for reasons that were actually not civil service HR's fault, which for anybody who is a civil servant would be like, oh my God, it wasn't our HR's fault. No, it wasn't. <laughs> um, but then yesterday we finally got the, yes, it's going to go ahead. So I'm going to start an oh. external secondment on the 15th of uh, January. Wow. To for a year. sort of... Yeah, to a commercial bank to go yeah. work on sustainability and social purpose. And there isn't a job description. I've got to meet a shed load of people because of all the different touch points yes. of things that I've got experience in or interest in or whatever like I'm really interested in um, decarbonisation of like housing and um, making housing more environmentally friendly yeah um, and they do do a lot in that space um, I'm also really interested in the challenge of getting SMEs to be more energy efficient and to, to, to kind of decarbonise as well yeah and be more sustainable because that's a really big challenge because SMEs have so much on their plate already like that's really really it's, it's but but we've got like well we used to have like 500,000 SMEs in the UK and the number might change since I was in that policy space but if you could 
make a headway in that. Like that's a it's a big chunk. It it's is a big chunk of the business population, and that often the people that you think you get the focus on the bigger, the yeah. big, the big cheeses, the big boys, isn't it? Yeah. But actually, so, yeah. But there's there's different challenges. So yeah, I'm really excited to get stuck into it, and then hopefully add some value. So who pays your salary then in that? And um, do the, you get paid? the stakeholder will reimburse the government for my yes. services? So you still get paid through? Yeah, I, so I stay on payroll for the civil service yeah. because and then and mainly the... for pension continuity, if nothing else. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah well, that's but I don't want to leave the civil service employment really because at the end of it, the intention is at the moment that I would come back to the civil service and then like embed all the knowledge that I've learned. So how long were you seconded for? Uh, until the end of next year. Wow. Yeah. So I'll come back at, at is that, the start of January 2025. No, so comments. I mean, hypothetically, nine to 12 months is really the minimum in order to kind of do anything more strategic. Yeah. You could have secondments for anything from a month to three if it was for a specific project, but yeah. there's quite a lot of hurdles to go over, especially inward, inward into government and probably into any kind of large organisation like security clearances, IT, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Actually, it's quite a lot of faff for less time. Yeah. Um, but also there's longer ones. Like we've got people on to common into our department that have been um, into our department for two years and, 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 out, and outward... I know somebody that recently returned after about two and a half years as well. What makes you good at what you do? And I think I can t- speak for everyone that's listening to this now, like juggling a lot of very complicated things. What you've described is just... It sounds so unbelievably complicated, and yet you're talking about it as if you're literally walking around Sainsbury's. Like, my favourite characteristic in people who I work with or for or who work for me is just being sensible. Like, no need to, like, get stressed out about things that they need to get stressed out about. No need to make things into bigger things than they need to be. Yeah. Well, can we all just be sensible about this? It's one of my favourite characteristics. Just figure that, out. Egos aside. Yeah, exactly. That and then initiative. Yes. And not being not people who don't need to be, like me, don't need to be given a list of things to do. Who can just kind of go out and, like, work it out. Yeah, I'll figure it out. Favourite characteristics. Um... So yeah, so uh, yeah, there is a, there is there is a lot of juggling. Like the auto job was so intense and so under so much senior, like really high level scrutiny. Scrutiny. What do you struggle with then? What are your characteristics? Mm. Working in, I'm just gonna say the government. Yeah, yeah, that's what that's yeah. Let's for working for the government. What characteristics? Well, I mean, for a lot of people, you do have to really be able to put your personal... And this is what any very good any professional civil servant would say. Um, to put your personal beliefs and politics to one side. And you have okay. to be very willing to... I mean, our, our job as civil servants is to support ministers to try and make the best decisions they can based on evidence. Yeah. Often that isn't possible. For numerous reasons that I won't go into, but we don't. They get they get paid the big bucks to make the decisions and take responsibility for it. We can only or do not. what we can do, and we can only do what they ask us to do. Yeah. And and then we have to go and deliver it. And sometimes you might not agree with it, and that's and that's it. And you have to be really okay with that. Although um, you are someone with very strong exactly morals. So I'm, I'm a very good example of somebody who absolutely has strong views, but then can, yeah. then can go into the office and also then be willing to, as certainly as a senior civil servant, to then also be a, 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 a voice, a voice a for that and somebody who can put things, help teams as well when you've got more junior people who might struggle with that more 
to put that into context and to actually help them to understand that as well yeah and see the benefits of what we're doing in and I and to be fair I've been lucky in most of the policy areas I've worked I've not worked in usually controversial things yeah. And I've, well, I don't think you'd have put yourselves in those, would you? No, I wouldn't have chosen the more controversial no. areas that I might have had potentially more challenges with. I feel so privileged to like have a little bit of insight into some of What's what goes going on. on. Like when it when stuff's on the news, I like get it more than a lot of people. Yeah. Part, and I'm also fascinated and I'm like, really curious about it. Yeah, and like yeah. I know what it looks like behind the door of number ten, and that you go up to the left and there's a there's a like a disabled toilet on the ground floor, and then you go up some stairs and there's like rooms with rubbish carpet tiles and stuff that you wouldn't like like in the old servants courses and things that it was like it's like it's really embarrassing to have meetings in and stuff but then i've also been in all the like the big state rooms and things like that's bonkers i held a reception for Theresa may in the rose garden number 10 in 2019 and we had drones like flanking her it was like weird stuff like that yeah bonkers things like that okay then the final one is life advice to throw out there for everybody Oh God, I don't really think I'm qualified to give life advice to people. Um, I mean, I do, like, I think you can make... I, my experience has been, even in somewhere which I think probably seems like it's quite rigid, like the civil service, that you can just make stuff happen. Like, you can make jobs out of nowhere and just go and, like, tout yourself out with somebody or, like, and, and, and to just, like, don't... Probably don't wait for things to happen, really, mm-hmm. I guess, is actually, like, go out and try and try and just talk to people. Engagement. Like, I try and say, like, people that work for me, one of the, the skills I think people really lack is the ability to engage and communicate well. Yeah. Um, and this isn't an age or a, or a grade thing particularly, but you find a lot of, in the civil services example, people when they're writing a submission to ministers, so when you are writing information for a decision to ministers, they just, like, vomit their brains onto a page and don't think about what am I... What do I want this person to do now? What information yes. do I need to give them and how am I going to get them to do that in the, in the, the slickest way? Um, that's communication skill. That's good writing. That's writing press release. That's, like, you know, like, it's, it's, it's pitching stuff, right? Yeah. Um, and engagement as well, like, everything is engagement, to your point earlier. I... I call it professional flirting, or like professional manipulation. Yeah, well, yeah, but like you know, when you when you when you go on a date and you flirt, you're like, ha, no, ha, ha, ha. You, there's like a little back yeah. and forth, and you some find a level really and all good, that stuff. Some people aren't. It's yeah. the same applied in the work environment, just without the sexy bit. So basically, engage, network. Yeah, ask put yourself questions. about it. Yeah, yeah, basically, yeah. Put yourself about it. Don't flirt with people. And on that note, I'll say thank you very much, Katie. (laughs) If you would like to hear more about this chat, see some behind-the-scenes pics and some personal profile pics, plus read about how to get started in this industry and or this role, then please go and support us on Patreon. The link is on this podcast page and across all of our socials. Sincere thanks in advance.